If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelle's. <laughs> I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. I'm, I'm DJ Honey's sidekick. <laughs> if you didn't the wacky listen to, sidekick. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you might be a little bit confused. Dan has mm-hmm. a great new voice he's using on the show. It just came from someone, uh, one of our Annabelles, D- DJ Honey. Do it so again. DJ Honey. Uh, here with me, joining me at the 93.6 FM, uh, Charlotte's number one alternative, The Buzz, The Crystal Queen. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Voices. <sighs> okay. Uh, less announcements this week, and then we jump into more horror. Um, and then we're, the first announcement is horror based. Uh, tickets on sale now for a new live Scared to Death show, live virtual show. Uh, we did one with Moment last year. We're doing one again this year. Scared to Death Live, Haunted Halloween, True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror 2. So stories that will only be told Thursday, October 27th, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go to badmagicmerch.com for ticket, tickets. Uh, at least one Halloween themed horror story. Uh, if not all four, I, I hope all four. That's the goal. I, I think. Well, I think all four will be Halloween themed. Ninety nine percent certain. You just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, you never know what you're going to find. You don't know. So again, it's scared to death live, haunted Halloween, true tales of Hallow's Eve horror two. Go to badmagicmerch.com for tickets. We'll be dressed up, new new costumes. There'll be new bells and whistles. I'm sure uh, on the virtual show. We're figuring that out now behind the scenes, and excited to make this even more fun than last year. Fun, 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 fun. Uh, very cool, creepy scarecrow collection in the store. Also at badmagicmerch.com. Uh, holy shit. Love these two designs, available on short or long sleeve shirts or in jigsaw puzzle form. The Art oh. Warlock continues to impress. Very cool designs. And that's it. I wasn't sure what you meant for a second. I was like, jigsaw, what kind of clothing item is that? I realized what you're an saying. Actual a puzzle. puzzle. An yeah. actual puzzle. Yep, 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 yep. Coolio, Julio. I have one story this week. Okay. Ooh, really ooh, doing a big deviation here. Yeah. One big story about uh, a folklore that I hadn't heard about before, The Whistler. Ooh, I like that. Mm. I don't know that I've heard of the Whistler. It's Venezuelan. 
in Very cool. Venezuelan folklore. And I loved this story. <laughs> uh, when you said Whistler, I heard like Witcher. Toss a coin for your Witcher. Oh, Valley of Plenty. It's like this Netflix show, I think. The song's stuck in my head now. Um, my first story is about a young boy named Cody's imaginary friend. Oh, boy. Not friendly, not imaginary. Oh. Uh, my second story about a collection of paranormal sightings in Plainfield, Wisconsin, all revolving around the ghosts of either murderer Ed Gein, his mom, or his victims. So huh. some spooky lore surrounding the death of a real-life monster. I should say very graphic true crime details in that one that are not normally included in scared-to-death stories. Okay, okay. Yeah, he, he was. it's pretty yeah, pretty graphic. Um, you want to show off this week's socks? And I then, do. And then I'll jump into it. Did you cover Ed Gein on Time Suck? Yep, sure mm-hmm. did. Early you... episode, early bonus episode. Ooh, ooh, there we go. Look at these. Nope. There nice. we go. I like, I like the green and black. That's cool. I'm I'm in spoopy mode. Oh, there we go. That's the camera angle we want. Boom. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet. <laughs> and I have on this cool t-shirt that somebody sent me. Yeah, I like that. Stoner and then pictures of crystals. Uh-huh. It's very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Jan and Dale Foster lived in a small suburban house in western Kentucky. Jan was a courier for a national delivery service. Dale worked as a contractor for the U.S. Post Office. They both worked hard to provide for their two children, 16-year-old Pamela and 5-year-old Cody. The family hired a nanny to look after little Cody during working hours. As much as Jan would have loved to stay at home with him, they just couldn't afford it at the time. Before their encounter with the paranormal, they appeared to be a perfectly normal, happy family, everyone getting along, neither of their kids ever having serious behavioral problems, until Cody announced that he had an imaginary friend. Time now for the tale of From Deep Underground. One evening, as Jan returned home from work, the family nanny pulled her aside, asking to speak with her privately. She told Jan, Cody's been acting very strange today. I'm not even sure how to explain it. He's been so different to every other day I've been with him. He's been using bad language. I won't even repeat what he's been saying. It's just vile, threatening, and abusive. Cody had refused to listen to her all day and threw tantrums, which was very unlike him. And Jan was shocked. She had no idea where Cody learned these words. She and Dale didn't curse. Cody didn't watch any media that used curse words. To her knowledge, wasn't around people who cursed. She promised she'd have a talk with Cody and would try to figure out where this was all coming from. The nanny also mentioned that it seemed like Cody suddenly had an imaginary friend. This was brand new. She'd never known him to ever have one before. The nanny was concerned, and so was Jan. Something just felt wrong in the pits of both of their stomachs. After the nanny left and the family ate dinner together, Jan and Dale sat down with Cody and gently tried to get some information out of him, starting with asking about his new friend. All Cody would say is that his friend's name was Man. Cody was a bit of a loner since he wasn't in school yet, so Jan wasn't too surprised that he did have an imaginary friend, but Man? What an odd choice for a name. It creeped her out, but kids are strange. Dale found the odd name amusing. He told Jan not to worry, it was just silly childhood imagination stuff. They both told Cody he was not to use the language the nanny told them about ever again. Cody blamed the language on man. The man or not, he now knew he'd get in a lot of trouble if he kept it up. That night, Jan and Dale's sleep was disturbed by the sounds of hysterical laughter coming from Cody's room. Jan went to check on him and tell him to quiet down, but found him fast asleep in bed when she got there. She was annoyed. She assumed Cody was pretending to sleep to avoid getting in trouble. Exhausted from a long day of work and not feeling like arguing with her son, she went back to sleep without saying anything. About an hour later, her daughter Pamela came running into her and Dale's room, terrified and near tears. 
She said she heard something scratching the wall behind her bed, followed by lots of loud knocks and bangs on the walls. For the first time since she was very young, due to how absolutely spooked she was, Jan and Dale let her sleep in bed with them. Jan woke up the next morning exhausted from the night before, and now it was her turn to encounter some paranormal terror. While she was showering before work, she saw a shadow move past the shower curtain, clearly in the shape of a person. Dale had already left for work, and she hoped it was one of her kids. She told herself they must have just needed something from the bathroom, but then when she called out, no one answered. And when she slowly popped her head around the curtain to see who it was, she saw that the bathroom was empty. Despite the hot water continuing to pour across her skin, she was suddenly freezing. Who had just been in the bathroom with her? Jan went to check on Cody after she got ready. She also wanted to ask him if he'd come into the bathroom. When she got within a few paces of her son's doorway, she could hear him carrying on a conversation in his room with man. You want to play? No, I don't want to play with that. No, let's not do that. When she popped into his room and told Cody it was time to get dressed for the day, he suddenly got very angry. Cody looked at her directly in the eye, threw his clothes at her, and screamed, No! Jan was a bit shaken. Cody, like any young kid, had his fair share of tantrums and whining, but she'd never seen him act out like this. Not so aggressive and defiant. The look in his eye really upset her. Jan got after Cody, he relented and put his clothes on, and became his regular self again. This was not the way Jan wanted to start her day, and it would only be the beginning. Cody's aggression continued to get worse and worse each day until Jan and Dale decided it was time to sit down and talk about man again. They had a feeling his imaginary friend was the root of his new behavior problems. Jan asked, What does man look like, Cody? He has brown hair and brown eyes and pale skin, Cody replied. Cody said that man was six years old. Then Dale asked, Where did man come from? As soon as Dale asked that question, the atmosphere in the room changed dramatically. Cody told him that man came from behind the park by a lake. He came from deep underground. Cody then became visibly upset as he continued with Man's story. He said a stranger took Man from his mommy and did terrible things to him. Man screamed and cried for his mommy, but she never came. And then the stranger put Man underground. (gasps) Cody, is Man dead? Jan asked her son. Yes, Cody replied, openly sobbing now. Jan gave him a hug and calmed him down, deciding to leave the conversation there for the moment. Dale still wasn't buying that anything supernatural was happening happening, and told Jan that Cody had probably seen something on TV, maybe on the news, maybe heard about a boy who'd been killed or something. Jan wasn't so sure. She spent the next day at the library trying to find reports of murdered or missing little boys in the area that matched Cody's story of man, but she couldn't find anything to prove that what he said had really happened. She thought that no matter how long ago, the story of a little boy being kidnapped and murdered in their area would surely make the news, but that didn't seem to be the the case. Over the next few days, Cody became very withdrawn, only ever wanted to spend time with man. He didn't talk to any of the rest of the family, and they could barely drag him away from his room to eat. Jan was steadily growing more and more worried. She felt like she was losing her son. Needing some guidance, she decided to make a call to a friend of hers who happened to be a Native American shaman for his tribe. She hoped he'd had experience with this type of thing, He said he did. He agreed to meet up and discuss a plan to help Cody. Dale went to the meeting with the shaman. He was still skeptical, but also knew that Jan was very upset and wanted to do anything he could to help her feel better. And he was worried about Cody. Jan's friend explained that Cody must have invited the spirit of a boy into their home somehow, and that in order to get rid of him, she must uninvite him. He instructed Jan to revoke the invitation by praying and burning sage around the corners of the house and anointing the entrances with olive oil. He warned her that she would need to be forceful with her prayer where the spirit would not leave. She'd have to be consistent with her intent. The next morning, after everyone else had left for the day, before Jan herself went to work, 
She did as she was instructed. She burnt the sage, anointed the entrances, all while praying for the little boy's spirit to leave her home. She was nervous and could not understand why her asking would do any good. She did not have the will or powers of God. She wasn't religious or even particularly spiritual. She wondered what made her good enough or strong enough to force his spirit to move on. Despite her doubts, it seemed to work. Jan didn't feel like Cody was fully back to himself after the ritual, but he seemed to be doing a lot better. He stopped talking to man, and things did pretty much go back to normal. The negative atmosphere that had settled over the house lifted, and now Cody ran to her when he got home from daycare or when she got home from work, chatting about his day. Jan was so relieved. Everything was going to be all right, or so she thought. But then three months later, when Jan was folding laundry while Cody played with trucks in the hallway, she heard him having a conversation with man again. She felt nauseous. Panic spread through her. She gathered her composure and walked into the hallway to check on Cody. He was sitting on the floor with tears in his eyes, holding something in his hand. It looked like an old Polaroid photograph. What's that, Cody? She asked, reaching to grab the picture from his hand. Cody's face changed from sad to angry, and he erupted into a violent tirade, screaming and shouting at her, Give it back! It's mine! Eventually, he calmed down, and Jan saw the photograph of an elderly woman and a small boy. Cody said that the boy was man, and that man gave him the picture. Jan felt weak and helpless. The thought of man being back was almost too much was almost too much for her to bear. She worried about Cody again, and with good reason. Over the next several days, Cody became more and more violent, screaming and throwing things all the time. He constantly told his parents that man said he didn't have to listen to them anymore. The nanny couldn't cope with his behavior, and she quit. Jan couldn't afford to lose her job, so she called everyone she could to think of uh, she could think of to try and find someone to watch Cody during the day. Finally, her cousin volunteered. She had a little girl the same age as Cody and said it would be great because her daughter would have a playmate. The next morning, Jan explained to Cody that he was going to his cousin's house and he needed to be on his best behavior. He would not be. Little over into an, a little over an hour into her workday and Jan received a call. Her cousin was crying and shouting for Jan to come and get Cody immediately, saying that he couldn't stay there and she needed to get him out of the house. Once her cousin had calmed down a little bit, she told Jan that she had heard voices, went to check on the children. She heard Cody talking, thought he was changing his voice, but then she realized that she heard a second, deeper voice. Her daughter started screaming, and she then ran into the room. She opened the door, saw toys floating in the air <gasps> around Cody, while her daughter was in the corner shaking and crying. Now Jan was very worried. Man was certainly back, and seemingly stronger than ever. Dale was no longer skeptical after this. He also had no idea what to do to help his son. Also, Dale and Jan both had to keep working. Now they really couldn't leave their son alone. They couldn't because he probably wouldn't actually be alone. He'd be with man. Jan now found a daycare that had space for Cody. She sat her son down, told him in no uncertain terms that when he left for daycare in the morning, he needed to leave man at home, not let him come to daycare. Cody agreed. And incredibly, it seemed to have worked. The staff of the daycare loved Cody and he seemed to have a lot of fun. However, leaving man at home had consequences in the evenings. His first night after daycare, Dale found Cody cutting up his teddy bears with scissors. According to Cody, man said it was okay. The second night, to the family's horror, he was caught trying to suffocate the cat. Oh my God. Cody told his, Cody told his parents calmly, man said it would be fun. Now Jan and Dale, both very worried, their young son had just tried to kill the family pet. On the third night, Jan discovered that Cody had intentionally urinated all over his clothes and toys. Home Sweet Home was becoming a nonstop nightmare. Jan said his demeanor became just horrible. I mean, just frightfully horrible. I knew at this point that Cody was not my son anymore. I was becoming fearful of my own son. Soon after this, Jan's fear and worry concerning all of this would be ratcheted up even further when she saw man herself. 
Cody ran into his parents' bedroom crying in the middle of the night. He said his bed was shaking and that he was scared. For the first time in a long time, Jan saw her little boy again, the real Cody. She told him to stay with his father as she went to Cody's room to confront man. Not seeing or hearing anything immediately when she entered her son's room, Jan laid on Cody's bed and waited. A few minutes later, she started to hear knocks from behind her. Then a deafening bang sounded from down the hallway. She bolted up, looked towards the doorway to see Cody standing there, a look of fear and distress on his face. But after a couple seconds, his face began to twist and contort, switching from the face of a scared little boy to the face of something else, something that definitely wasn't the spirit of a murdered little boy. The entity was pale, veiny, with red eyes, and then as Jan will report later, he started laughing demonically. A sudden realization came over me. This was man. Cody, or whatever was inside Cody, walked towards the bed, put his hands around Jan's throat with impossible strength for a five-year-old. She could see piercing eyes and veins all over the thing's bumpy, monster-like head. She cried and tried to plead with Cody until eventually she managed to scream. Dale came rushing into the room, and Cody looked like himself again. She could clearly see that Cody was terrified of man. She had to figure out how to save her son from this monster. She said, Cody put his little hand in mind, and he was squeezing it reassuringly, and he was looking at me as if to say, See, Mommy, it wasn't me. Once everyone left the house the next day, Jan once again called her friend, the shaman, to ask for help. She explained that it was not the spirit of a little boy in her home, but something demonic that had attached itself to her son. He advised her to do the same ritual as before, but this time be more specific in her prayer, be more confident and forceful. Not knowing what else to do, she did as he instructed. She started outside their house and worked her way in. She prayed while she performed the ritual. She'd later say, I felt as I went along doing this blessing, I became stronger, I became braver, I became more confident. Jan walked around the house with Sage again, panicking that this might make man angry, but soldiering on anyway. As she anointed the doors with olive oil, the house went cold, and now she heard maniacal laughter coming from all around her. She was scared, but she would not be defeated. She needed to be strong for Cody. She prayed louder and louder, ordering the demonic entity to leave her house and never return. Once the ritual was finished, the atmosphere in the house lifted, and though she was exhausted, she felt like all the energy had been sucked out of her. She also felt lighter, like everything might really be over. When Cody returned from daycare that day, he ran in to give her a hug and tell her about his day, and Jan almost cried. Her little boy was back again. Although Jan was relieved to have Cody back, she was also left with lingering fears and questions at the conclusion of her telling of this story back in 2006. She wondered if the ritual was just another temporary fix. She wondered if man would come back and be stronger than ever. That's like what we talked about, I think, last week's episode. Just like, uh, it's so terrifying for this to happen. Mm -hmm. And then you think you've gotten rid of it and you're like, ah, everything's okay. And then it comes back even stronger. Yeah. So many of these stories, that would be one of the worst parts is not understanding, you know, why it started Mm -hmm. and not feeling satisfied that it was over. Yeah. You know, just always wondering, like, when's that going to happen again? We didn't see it coming the first time. Why would we see it coming this next time? I know. I know. And it sounds like in this situation, just based on the way the story goes about, like, you know, they both needed to work, like moving was not an option, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, as far as, as I can tell. But it did seem like man was confined to the house. Yeah. Oh, well, except when he went to his cousin's house to be babysat. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So man was not confined to the house. I don't. It didn't happen at school or daycare. Doesn't sound like. Yeah. But did happen at the cousin's house. But an interesting thing where the mom, uh, Jan, told Cody when he went to daycare, leave man, leave man at home. And I wonder if she had told him that before he went to his cousin's house. Yeah. If like if he could be sequestered. Yeah. Weird, huh? So weird. So. So creepy. Uh, I don't have pics from the story, but I did find some uh, really creepy, scary, imaginary friend pics online. Okay. 
like this first one of a girl's drawing and then uh, a reflection of someone in the water who isn't oh, there. Oh, yeah. I've seen that reflection photo. I don't yeah. know in what, but I've seen that before. And that is so creepy. We might have used it here a long time ago in a story. I, I, I don't think it was added to this uh, this little picture, this drawing here. That's a super creepy combo. Yeah. Uh, no idea why that first pick led me to this one, but uh, here we are. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a, it was a small one, but it's just um, it's this lady, like, like, weird face, like, climbing out of a window attached to imaginary pics, uh, friends. Yeah, that I wonder why that did show up with imaginary <laughs> friends. And then one more just really disturbing picture uh, that, as you know, like, you do the image searches, and then it has, like, suggested pics. Yeah. And I was like, this is creepy. Ooh, what is happening there? So, okay, I don't know if you can zoom. Can you zoom in oh, on that God, one, Tyler? I don't know if I want to. Because I know that this, yeah, this picture, there we go. Downstairs. The fuck? Okay, the oh, the fuck? So there's the little boy sitting on the stairs. Below him looks like his mom calling for him. But then above him on the stairs, some dark entity. Oh, my God. Also, like the lady down, the mom, for one second, just the way that like the photo is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in like the, oh, I don't like that. Uh, the... <laughs> style of dress her yeah. collar she has like a really big collar on her blouse like a peter mm, pan collar mm -hmm. but at first it looks like a clown collar oh. and i was like oh my god there's a clown up downstairs and a terrible dark thing upstairs. like he's trapped between the two yeah but like yeah. entirely oblivious because it just looks like the kids reading a book on the steps mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. Woo wee e chihuahua e chihuahua um huh well it seems like the saging worked yeah i mean the first time it gave them temporary relief. And then the second mm -hmm. time, it seems like it really, really did work. And and I will say just like, you know, from like cleansing our house pretty regularly, the, I, I think like the thing to take away, like people will send in emails, like, how do I do this? How do I do this? And uh, you could look up a hundred million ways, I'm sure, to do sure. it online, various forums. But I think for me, what I have found, and I think that other more experienced people would agree with this your intent is the most yeah. important thing like your the way that you talk to whatever is in your house the way that you're confident and you have to be confident like you can be scared you can be nervous you can even be thinking in your head like oh boy but you have to really believe that like what you're doing is going to work yep. that you want it to work but it, i mean and that is the same with all of our words in life right like yeah. speak yeah. with intention yep so I think if you go into that, like if you're having anything going on in your house or even just like sometimes we have, you know, uh, people come to our house, it's just all that energy coming into your house. It's just good to like flush it out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just and just start anew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yee. What a brave mama. True. True. To actually like yeah, do that herself. And then like uh, when she went into the bedroom to lay down in his bed to confront that thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, not not that the dad wasn't helping. I just was impressed by her mm -hmm. fortitude. And I do wonder if you know if if it is happening again. It might be because uh, you know people like they get interviewed by for some ghost hunter show. Maybe the show is uh, runs its course and there's no longer seasons. The show the producers are not following up with that person. Mm -hmm. That person might not want to write about what they've seen. You know, in some kind of forum might not be their thing. Yeah. And so I do wonder with a lot of these where it's like, okay, this happened back in 2006. You know, it's been a, been a while since then. Who knows what went on after this uh, story ended as far as this telling? Yeah, yeah. That thing could have came back and back and back. Hopefully no news is good news. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, you ready to move away from a disturbing imaginary friend and talk about a dude who was truly disturbing, Ed Gein? Uh, I don't know what's worse. Mm -hmm. Like true identifiable terror mm -hmm. or the stuff that we are uncertain of. First, before we head there, 
sponsor time. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze. But one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Scared to Death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 and use code scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our deals, creeps and peepers. Hope you heard a couple you loved. So uh, how familiar are you, are you with Ed Gein? 
Is he the guy that wore people's skin? Yep. I think that's all I really know. The Butcher of Plainfield. Were you going to say that in the DJ Honey voice? It sounded like you were about to do it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's the, <laughs> that'd be really weird. Uh, thanks for listening to The Buzz. Uh, we have a, a little interview coming up with the Butcher of Plainfield here in the Dole Contemporary. Charlotte's number one. Yeah, that'd be a little out of uh, tonally off for that station. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, so uh, can you give me a little, yeah. are, are you going to give I a will. little recap? I will give a little recap. Um, Ed Gein's story is one that has continued to fascinate the world long after his death. He was an early subject on another Bad Magic podcast, Time Suck. Uh, bonus episode 17 back in February of 2018. The non-paranormal story has provided plenty of horror movie inspiration. Maybe more than any other serial killer. Well, he's not even a serial killer. He gets called that, but he's actually not uh, based on just the criteria. But anyway, uh, known as the Butcher of Plainfield, Gein's heinous acts and complex relationship with his mother have inspired numerous movies, many of them classic horror flicks, Psycho, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Silence of the Lambs, Three on a Meat Hook, Deranged, Child of God, all at least partially inspired by Ed's deranged deeds. Three on a meat hook? Yeah, it was, I believe, early 80s. I think more like cult classic slasher flick. Okay. I looked into it, but I haven't actually watched it. Uh, On November 16th, 1957, Bernice Warden vanished from her Plainfield, Wisconsin hardware store right after 51-year-old Ed Gein had come in to purchase some antifreeze. Soon investigators will be surrounding the Gein farmhouse, where only Gein had lived for years now, weren't ready to conduct a search of the property. And what they found would haunt them forever. The police ended up recruiting some of Ed's neighbors to help them clean up because the trained officer's stomachs couldn't handle the gruesome scene they'd found. Crime scenes like the one they walked into just did not exist around Plainfield before Ed created one. The police found the decapitated body of Bernice hanging from the rafters, along with a multitude of other grisly discoveries that would horrify even the most hardened investigator. Among the findings were whole and fragmented human bones, a wastebasket made of human skin, skulls on bedposts, a corset made from a female torso, a full female skin suit, a belt made from nipples, Ah. a pair of lips on the drawstring of a window shade, a doorbell made out of a nipple. Oh, God. A shoebox filled with women's genitalia and the face of Mary Warden cut into a mask. Mary was a local tavern, tavern owner who had disappeared without a trace three years earlier. Ed Gein confessed to killing the two women, claimed he dug up a further 10 women's bodies, roughly, from the Plainfield Cemetery. Locals also suspected Ed of killing his younger brother in May of 1944 after he died in a suspicious house fire. Ed's father had passed away on April 4th, 1940, and the popular theory was that Ed killed his brother because he wanted to be alone with his mother. This theory seems to hold some truth, as Ed was quoted as saying that he murdered Mary and Bernice because they reminded him of his deceased mother, and that the skin suit he made was his way of trying to bring her back from the dead. Ed would be suspected of committing numerous other murders as well. Gein died in a Wisconsin mental hospital on July 26, 1984. Many would think that was the end to his story, but maybe not. The town of Plainfield is tiny. Less than a thousand people live there today. Less than a thousand lived there when Ed was living there. Some of those people seem to believe that Ed's spirit never left this world and that he came right back to Plainfield after his death to haunt the residents whose bodies he used to dig up and desecrate. Oh my God. Time now for the tale of the ghost of Ed Gein. Residents of Plainfield have reported hearing disembodied voices and in some cases being physically attacked, pushed, hit, or scratched by an invisible entity. There are numerous reports of locals seeing a shadowy figure lurking around the town. Many residents say the shadow has the same silhouette as Ed, his distinctive slouchy posture, hard to mistake. 
After Ed's arrest, the town organized an auction of all his possessions. The Gein farmhouse burned down on March 20th, 1958, just 10 days before the auction. And the property, believed by many to be incredibly haunted, has been abandoned ever since. Almost everyone who stepped foot on that land seems to have had some sort of paranormal experience. Some Plainfield residents believe the farm is forever tainted by the evil acts that occurred there. Some believe that it was cursed before Gein and his family bought it. They say the farm may uh, have once been a tribal burial ground. Over the years, many paranormal investigators have come to Plainfield to see if rumors of Ed's lingering spirit are true. In November 2020, Steve Shippey, a paranormal investigator, set out to investigate several supposedly haunted locations throughout Plainfield. And he invited Cindy Kaza, a psychic medium, to investigate along with him. As soon as Cindy stepped onto the Gein property, she claimed to feel an oppressive energy. She said she had repeated visions of a woman in a nightgown standing on the property, stalking and following them. Cindy felt very distinctly that she was not wanted there and claimed to communicate with the ghost of Augusta, Ed's mother, who called her a witch. Cindy felt that Augusta's presence was a truly evil one and that Ed was controlled by his mother from beyond the grave after his death or after her death, that her spirit might have led him to kill those women and make horrifying attempts to get her spirit back into the world of the living. She feels that even in death, Ed's spirit is still controlled by his mother's and that his spirit, his presence, now also is very malevolent. Warden's Hardware Store, where Bernice was murdered, is now a storage facility. Workers have reported a number of inexplicable incidents over the years, such as cold spots and objects flying off the shelves on their own. Most unsettling is the feeling that they're constantly being watched or followed by the spirit of Ed Gein. The Washera County Jail, where Ed was taken after his arrest and interrogated, is now a museum. The curator reports much of the same paranormal activity as the old hardware store, along with feeling burning sensations and being scratched by an invisible entity. While inside the jail, Cindy Kaza said she heard a voice say, I think Mother would be proud of the work I did. The investigative team used a spirit box and heard a voice say, Possessed. When asked who was possessed, the voice said, Ed. They also heard a female voice say, put on the suit. Plainsfield Cemetery is perhaps one of the eeriest and most haunted places in town. Ed's headstone has long since been removed due to constant vandalism disturbing the grounds. Allegedly, people involved in black magic would often try to conduct rituals around his grave. Bernice Warden's final resting place is less than 50 yards from where Ed supposedly is. Residents report hearing female screams in the cemetery at night and are certain they're the disembodied screams of Bernice's ghosts. They also claim that Ed's shadow lurks around this location as well, watching people, stalking people in death as he did in life. There are also several claims that anything that once belonged to Ed is cursed. After Gein's arrest, many of his possessions were auctioned off, auctioned off the ones that didn't burn up, uh, to Plainfield residents. Tom Dyer purchased a couple of knives that once belonged to Gein. Possibly, if not probably, knives once used for skinning his victims. Tom and his wife won the items at the auction. Once they got home, he put the items in his garage. Nothing happened for a few weeks. But then Tom said he started seeing a tall, thin shadow walk from the living room out of the house. And then his family seemed to be overrun with bad luck. Their animals started to die one after another, and the whole family seemed to keep getting sick. Tom's mother, father, and wife all died <gasps> within two years of getting those knives. For some crazy reason, Tom kept the knives after that, but started storing them at a shed at the bottom of the property far away from his house. Ever since he moved in there, his bad luck seems to have gone away. But Ed's spirit may still be showing up from time to time. Steve Shippey's camera and motion sensors detected a presence in the Dyer house when they investigated they, investigated Ed's, they invited Ed's spirit to come to the garage and touch the knives they'd put on a chair. Cindy then felt a strong male presence breathing down her neck, and the fur on the edge of her coat moved downward, despite there not being a breeze in the garage. 
The team's SLS camera also picked up a figure moving towards the knives on the chair. Steve and Cindy took the knife to the Gein farm for a final investigation on the 63rd anniversary of Ed's arrest. Again, their SLS camera picked up a figure next to the knife. They also used a geoport, a different type of spirit communication device, and heard voices identify themselves as Augusta and Ed. When they asked if a different voice was a victim of Ed Gein, they heard a voice say, Mary. In 2015, a man named Dan McIntyre contacted Cult of Weird blog author Charlie Hintz. McIntyre had seen some of Hintz's research about Gein and had a disturbing story that he wanted to share. He said he wanted to auction off an old cauldron he had inherited from his grandmother, Evelyn Mayer. She purchased the cauldron and gardening tools in March of 1958. Evelyn was an antique dealer and collector, so she often went to auctions to buy items, including the Ed Gein auction. She painted Ed's old cauldron, put flowers in it as a memorial to his victims. Dan was six to eight years old when he learned it once belonged to the murderer. After Evelyn's death, the flower pot ended up in his parents' garage. Dan said he never felt like he was alone when he was near that cauldron. One day, Hollis Brown, a former neighbor of Ed Gein, saw the cauldron in the garage, recognized it immediately. Hollis Brown was one of the residents who helped the police remove bodies from the house. Hollis said that when he first walked in, he saw Bernice's body hanging in that exact cauldron beneath it. Hollis refused to go near the cauldron. He said it made him feel sick every time he did. Dan McIntyre wrote in his email to Hintz, Hollis saw many terrible things. He told me upon entering the home, he saw a woman's breast as the doorbell. Inside, he saw a skin lampshade, a comforter slash blanket made from skin, furniture made of skin and breast, bloody gut buckets, a change purse made from a woman's vagina, a belt with nipples. When Hollis saw the cauldron in, his, in my parents' garage, he recognized it as the same black cauldron he had seen Ed's parents use to render hog fat on their farm. Also recognized as the same cauldron in one of the outbuilding sheds and remembered Ed's sinister use for it. He remembered the cauldron was covered in dry blood and guts next to two barrels slash tubs of bloody human entrails and intestines. Fifty years later, Hollis recognized the cauldron in my parents' garage, turned white as a ghost. I asked him how does he know it was the same one covered in dry blood. He lifted his arm and said, the hair on my arm stands straight up every time I look at it. Dan McIntyre believes that the cauldron has a dark energy attached to it, which lays dormant while it's covered up, or which lay dormant while it was covered up in his parents' garage. But when the cauldron was disturbed, something happened. Dan kept the cauldron in his garage for uh, a while until one day he asked his family to help him clear out the garage. Dan's father, mother, Hollis Brown, Dan's brother-in-law, and a cousin all helped him. All five of those family members picked up the cauldron and dragged it out, and then everyone but Dan himself passed away over the next 18 months. Dan said that his father was elderly at the time. Hollis Brown died of cancer, but Dan's brother-in-law Bruce died just walking up some steps. His cousin John died from surgery complications, and his mom fell out of a wheelchair and died. When Dan disturbed the cauldron again because he wanted to auction it off, he felt the same dark energy. He said he became sick, his electronics malfunctioned. When standing in front of the cauldron, he felt uneasy, dizzy, and anxious. He said, I'm not so sure that displaying an item that represents such evil is a good idea. What evil will it inspire? I wonder if I should have kept it and painted flowers and planted flowers in it, only to be forgotten in time. Then there would be one less item in this world to remind us of the evil that lurks on the flip side of mankind's good. Cult of Weird wrote a story about that auction. The cauldron was sold days later. McIntyre in the auction house informed Hintz that Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures won the cauldron. Bagans and his team set a spirit box near it. The following is some of the activity recorded on it. Aaron Goodwin said, or asked, Do you recognize anyone in here? And then they heard a female voice say, Come here. Zach Bagans said, What do you want to happen to the people that own your stuff? 
they heard a woman's voice say, Evil, and then heard a loud bang that sounded like a door slamming in a room behind him. Zack then asked, What is attached to this cauldron? And a female voice said, Death. Aaron asked, Do you like the fact that other people own your items? No. Do you like the fact that it's the, that it's uh, going to be in this building with a new owner? Yes. Edgeen's skis were also purchased at an auction after his arrest. We don't know much about the skis, but do know they were eventually also sold to Bagans because the owner refused to keep them any longer. Bagans invited the previous owners on his show to speak to him, but they could not make it due to a medical emergency. Courtney Dyer and Derek Wagner, the owner's daughter and her boyfriend, came to speak instead. And Courtney said her parents couldn't make it because her sister had a stroke. And her parents believed her sister had a stroke because of the skis. Courtney believes these events happened because Ed wants people to keep talking about him. Courtney said that she and Derek have gone to Ed's property to make contact with his spirit multiple times. And during one visit, Courtney took a few pictures of Derek. He felt a presence approach him and Courtney claims to have captured a mist on camera. Courtney also said that when she and Derek went to Gein's property, they felt and heard a female presence. Was Ed Gein disguising himself as a female to communicate with them? Plainfield residents continue to claim encounters. Are they still being haunted by Ed Gein's ghost, the ghost of his mother, or perhaps the ghost of some of his other victims? We don't know. He's so terrifying. Yeah, he was a real ghoul. I mean, he was like, you know, clearly, I mean, he's unlike most serial killers. Well, again, he gets classified as a serial killer, but unlike most murderers, um, you know, he, he did not go to prison. He went to uh, an asylum, mm-hmm. you know, like he truly, he truly was, was out not of his well. mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, it was <laughs> from time suck. The scariest moment from his episode that I remember is supposedly some neighbors from like another farm mm-hmm. said that one night, like under the moonlight before he got arrested, they saw him wandering around out in the farm in what they realized later was a woman's skin suit. Oh, like he would just God. go walk under the moonlight and just pretend to be his mother maybe or just, you know, some other random lady. But I mean, the the suit is the inspiration for like uh, uh, Leatherface, you know, from Texas yeah, yeah, Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. Uh, Michael Myers, the mask he wears yeah. resembles one of the masks they found on Ed Gein's property. And I do have some pictures. Oh, I, I would rather not. Uh, the first one is just Ed Gein, uh, not long after his arrest, clean-shaven and the most normal-looking he ever kind of looked right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, like, a handsome guy, really. Yeah. If you I would, mean, like, if you didn't yeah, know anything about him. Yeah, Yeah, and he's, like, you know, 51. Yeah, exactly. He could be a handsome guy. I was super freaked out for, like, five seconds because uh, he has the same—you said, like, November 16th. I was like, that's my dad's birthday. Oh, no. My dad's name is Ed. Like, oh, I was yeah. just getting really upset over here. Uh, this next one, some of the items recovered from Ed's crime scene. Yep, some of the things, uh, if we can zoom in Oh, God, that is so fucking gross. Yep. I just don't like, oh, God. Bones and a skin mask and other things. I'm going to ask a question that I might regret asking once I hear the answer. These body parts. Yeah. Would he kill the people first or did he? Uh, Well, most of them came from, he was like a ghoul. Oh, yeah, he was like like a a grave robber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did kill a couple people. Yeah, he killed at least two people. Possibly only two, but the rest of the um, body parts came from the cemetery. Okay, that's right. But with those two that he killed. Yeah, these two women. And, yeah, yeah, yep. And then it, it does seem that he killed them first and then got to using their skin. He was big on taking the skin off. Because I just like, I want there to be some sort of like mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't um, a, a sadistic torturer like a lot of serial killers. Yeah. Um, this is a skin mask Ed made. Likely the inspiration for Michael Myers' mask. Oh, yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's horrifying. That's all like from, you know, somebody. Oh, God. And then he would put it on? He'd wear it. Mm-hmm. Wear all this stuff. Yeah. He just makes me sick to my stomach. This is uh, Ed's house shortly after he was arrested, before it burned down. I mean, it was a nice, you know, like farmhouse before it was just him there. 
Oh, yeah. Big, beautiful uh-huh. piece of property. Um, inside the house after he was arrested. I mean, he lived in just filth, mm. not outside of all the, all the parts. I mean, it was the most disturbing Ugh. thing. It's just so cluttered. You can see a guy there in the middle surrounded by pots and pans and, you know, food probably just, you know, all rotten laying about and just garbage everywhere. And well, then he uh, really was sick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Then his, his bedroom, I mean, like there was like skin made things all over. I mean, it was a true house of horrors. A true house of horrors. Also, like just knowing that they send him to an asylum, it's like yeah. the hum- there's a human element of me that's like, God, that's just so sad. Of course. Like what, what, what? Were you just born that way? Were you abused? I mean, I don't know if you. Uh, but in, in, in the times, like basically, like remembering from Time Suck, you know, he was a, you know, this was a rural area back in the fifties. You know, um, outside of the town, they lived on this big farm, so he was kind of sheltered. I'm sure amongst the family, they always knew Ed was off. Mm-hmm. He, you know, had subscriptions to some odd magazines. He was into some, you know, for that time, kinkier porn and things, mm-hmm. and uh, and true crime kind of like you know graphic kind of true crime yeah and he was just known as a he, he just weirded people out he would do yeah. odd jobs sometimes and he was just known as a character basically yeah 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 it's really sad though in a certain way oh yeah and then this last one just the cursed cauldron i'm oh, sorry yeah so not exciting but that's just the the cauldron that uh, oh that's not what i was picturing and so zach bagans has that uh, I think still does as far as I know. Yeah. Man, like I hope he has it locked up inside of something. He has it in that. I haven't been. I remember Johnny oh, Dare from Kansas yeah. City talking to me about like he's gone before and he's like, we got to go one of these times about his, pl- his, um, in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. In Vegas, he has that, uh, his collection of haunted items that I, you can at least tour some of it. I'm 99% sure. I just don't even know that that appeals to me because there's nothing mm. that says that if there is something attached to an object that they like, can't leave it. Yeah, that it can't mm-hmm. latch on to you. It feels yeah. like tempting fate. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I get the appeal. Yeah, to right? see that love, spooky stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like to let your imagination go wild with it and, you know, all the all the things. But yeah. also, I don't know. It just seems dangerous. Mm-hmm. Ugh, and that cauldron. Seems like anybody who touches it dies. I don't even know how Zach's alive. <laughs> Maybe he never touched it. I don't know. Actually, I mean... Oh, yeah. Interesting that like multiple times it was like, oh, uh, within 18 months, all these people died. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was like within a couple years. Yeah, two years. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. Ugh. Well, are you ready? I'm ready. So, so you'd never heard of the Whistler. The no. Whistler. The Whistler. The no. Whistler. Whistler. Uh, can you whistle? I can't. I... Yeah. Do you want to hear my whistle? Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm a terrible whistler. I have to really try really hard at it. It's pretty comical. No. <laughs> this is a tiny little air puff sound. I'm I'm now thinking just because of the podcast setting, the, the last, uh, last when I did the 300th episode of Time Suck and did the LST episode. Oh, yeah. I forgot how to whistle. This <laughs> <laughs> could not for the life remember, remember how to go. Just like. <laughs> how do you do that? I can't whistle like that. I don't, I don't know. Have you ever been able to do the like. No, my mom can do the one where you, yeah, you put the fingers in the corners of your mouth and the crazy loud whistle, that root, kind of like yeah. that whip almost sound. Yeah. No, I, I tried to figure that out as a kid and could not figure it out, but she can really whistle. Yeah. I was never, loud. never able to do that. Well, this story uh, uh, from our fan, it it is an interesting story. As you go, you're kind of like, is this scary? But then by the end, you're like, that is weird. Okay. Like, I, I really like the way it, like, wraps up at the end yeah. of just, like, okay, how fascinating. So, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Good morning, you wonderful people. 
I found Scared to Death by accident not too long ago, and I'm trying to catch up. I love this show so much. Yes. The dynamic between the two of you is sheer perfection. Yes. Since I'm not caught up yet, I don't know if you've done a story about The Whistler yet. I'd never heard of it until, well, I experienced it. Mm. I know you can see my name through my email, but for this story, I won't be using my name or my neighbor's. I'll be using his fake name, one, because I never told anyone this story because of the absolute fear that the experience instilled in me. And two, I haven't spoken to my neighbor involved in this to see if he was okay with it. So sorry for the length. I just didn't want to leave anything out. A bit of backstory. In March 2019, I bought my first house. The moment I walked into that house, I knew I was home. The sweet little house was perfect for me and my dog. It sat at the end of a street, neighbors only to one side, and thick woods surrounding the side and back of my house. The price was at the higher end of my budget, but I could make it work. It wasn't one of those too-good-to-be-true deals where this incredible house was for sale way below market value. Several people had made offers on the house, and actually, my first offer wasn't even accepted. I was heartbroken at the time, but life went on. And then three weeks later, my realtor called saying, The winning offer on the house had fallen through and the seller wanted to see if I was still interested. I immediately said yes and the process of buying my house started. The owners were very motivated to sell as they were in the middle of moving out of the country and since the first offer fell through, they were pressed for time. After the inspection, the owners fixed everything without question. I closed on the house without ever meeting them and very quickly at that. Shortly after moving in, I met the neighbors. They were a very sweet old couple and wanted to tell me the entire history of our neighborhood and the previous owners of my house. The house was built in 1960, and the family I purchased the house from had been there since 1970. When they originally bought the house, they were a young couple from Venezuela. Over the many years they spent in the house, they had children who then grew up and moved out, and then eventually their daughter moved back with her children to take care of her parents in their old age. They had taken a trip back to Venezuela in January of 2019, and when they came back, they immediately put the house up for sale. My neighbors told me that something was off when they came back from their trip. They never saw the older couple again. When they asked the daughter, she snapped at them and said her parents were fine, back in Venezuela. Hmm. Shortly thereafter, she and her children were gone and I moved in. I didn't know what to make of the story, but I listened intently because my neighbors were so very kind. By late April, early May, I'd fallen in love with my sweet little house, my neighborhood, and the short commute to work. I had set up a chicken coop in my backyard and was brooding some chickens inside until they were big enough to make the transition to the coop. My neighbors rang my doorbell one Saturday morning with some homemade baked goods and the news that they were moving to a retirement community down south. I wished them the best of luck and hoped that I would get neighbors as good as they were. A guy about my age named Eric moved in not long after. We didn't speak much beyond the usual pleasantries, but that was fine with me. Now here's the bulk of the story. By late July, I had moved my chickens into their coop and run. As a first-time chicken owner, I was so nervous about them, especially at night. So every night, I'd go down to my coop and check on them to make sure they were safe and sound with my dog trailing behind me. One night, while going down to the coop, something just felt strange. I got down to the coop and everything was good with the chickens, but my dog and I, or, and then my dog and I started to make the trek back to the house when I heard it. A whistle. Not like a cat calling whistle, but a series of clear notes, as if someone was whistling a tune. 
It was so loud, it seemed to be coming from everywhere all around me, as if someone stood behind me, whistling. I was frozen to where I was standing, listening, struggling with my eyes to see if someone was there in the dark. And then it came again. And this time it was... slightly quieter? Maybe it was just someone walking down the street. The first few times I heard it, my dog DeSoto didn't want to seem to acknowledge it. So I figured if this 90-pound retired police dog wasn't concerned, then I shouldn't be either. I began to walk towards the house again, and the whistle came again, but quieter and further away still. This time DeSoto did notice, and all the hair on his back stood up and he started growling. The whistle came again, and DeSoto started barking like crazy. He put his backside to me and began backing me up to get me to move towards the house, all while barking. We made it back inside, and the second I shut the door, DeSoto was fine. That one incident alone wouldn't have made me consider this to be anything paranormal, but this didn't just happen once. Every night that week, it kept happening. I just didn't understand what was going on. Friday night, everything escalated. The same scenario playing out minus DeSoto as he was inside not feeling great from his annual shots. A loud whistled tune at first, slowly getting quieter, until this time, once the whistle became so faint, it almost sounded like a whisper. And at that moment of the whispered whistle, something grazed my face. It felt like a hand made of cobwebs just brushed across my cheek. I freaked out and bolted towards my house, and I'm pretty sure there was some shrieking because by this point, DeSoto was at the back door barking like crazy. The moment I was back at my deck, I could hear laughing. I looked over towards my neighbor, and I could see him and his girlfriend almost doubled over in laughter by his fire pit. I immediately flew into cussing. Are you fucking kidding me, Eric? Has that been you who's been fucking with me this whole time? (laughs) He stopped laughing and asked, Have I been doing what? I was just sitting here. I saw you walking back slowly from your coop, and then all of a sudden you yelled out and bolted towards your house. I was embarrassed because when he explained it that way, I'm sure I looked pretty foolish. Wait, you didn't hear any whistling? I asked. Both he and his girlfriend said no. They hadn't heard anything. Unconvinced that he hadn't spent a week fucking with me for some of his own light amusement, I gave up and went back inside. Every night for the next week, the whistling continued. I looked for every possible source. Birds, signs of someone in the woods surrounding my house, anything that could possibly explain the noise. I was even ready to just explain whatever had touched my face as walking into a spider web. But everything changed when Eric called out to me on my way out to the coop one night. Hey, The whistling only happens when you come out. The second your dog starts to bark and you go back inside, it stops. My heart froze. It was like pure fear started pumping through my veins. I stopped going to the coop every night from that point on. Three weeks after that, I was driving home from dinner with my parents. They live about an hour away, so it was rather dark when I was coming home. Turning onto my street, I could see police cars, fire trucks, and an ambulance. A cop moved his car so I could get to my house. After I cleared the emergency vehicles and could see what was happening, I felt sick. Firefighters were putting out a small blaze in Eric's backyard. Eric sat on his front steps while EMTs were checking him out and cops were asking him questions. Once the officers and the EMTs had walked away, I went over to Eric to ask him what was going on. He said he and his girlfriend were drinking by the fire pit when they started to hear the whistling. Same thing, loud at first and then quieter. He said that just when it got as quiet as a whisper, his girlfriend screamed out that something was grabbing her. After what seemed like an eternity of chaos and confusion, the fire pit got knocked over, sending burning embers all over the lawn. 
He said that his girlfriend had been taken to the, in the ambulance to the hospital because she'd gotten burned all over her legs. He thinks when she jumped up in fear, she accidentally ran into and kicked the fire pit and then knocked it over. She was also covered in scratches. Uh-huh. Eric said the EMTs and the cops were trying to decide if she had scratched herself in the panic or if this was a domestic violence thing. Eric would never have hurt his girlfriend, and the way he described the scratches made it sound kind of difficult to have done to herself. He was absolutely terrified. After the small fire was out and all the police questions had been answered, Eric went to the hospital to check on his girlfriend. I walked back to my house, taking DeSoto out front to potty because we were not about to go in the backyard that night. One week later, Eric put his house up for sale. He was moving. Whatever had happened scared him enough not to want to be there any longer. I was perusing an Ask Reddit thread one day. The question was something like, what has been the most paranormal, unexplained thing that's ever happened to you? And as I was scrolling through, reading the replies about ghosts and things, I stopped. Frozen to the screen, I read about an experience that was so similar to mine. The poster and several commenters called him the whistler. I hopped onto Google and read a Wikipedia article. The first line of the article drew a visceral reaction from me. El Sabon, the whistler, is a legendary figure in Venezuela. The family who owned my home for almost 50 years, Venezuelan. They had just returned from a trip to Venezuela when they put the house up for sale. Did they bring this thing back with them? The article continued to say, It is said, when the whistling sound is close, there's no danger, and the whistler is far away. But when the whistling sound is distant, it means it is nearby. It is also said that hearing the whistling foretells one's own death, and one may hear it anywhere at any time. In this situation, the only thing that can save the victim is the sound of a dog barking, as it is the only thing the whistler is afraid of. And that's why the whistling always stopped after DeSoto would bark. I searched out various places online to try and learn more about the whistler. It practically became an obsession. But after time passed without hearing any whistling outside and a hefty amount of therapy, I was able to get back to some sense of normalcy. I've never been able to tell anyone close to me about the experience. I just don't want to become the crazy one. But after hearing so many of your listeners' stories, I felt that now was a good time for me to get my story out. And honestly, it feels good just typing everything out. I now spend plenty of nights on my back deck with friends and even alone, never experiencing anything out of the ordinary. I don't know how to classify what happened to me, nor do I care to. I can still hear the whistled notes in my head sometimes, but luckily, I have never heard them outside again. Whatever that fucking thing was is gone, and I am so grateful. Anyway, I've taken up enough of your time, so if you've stuck with me this long, thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. Keep bringing the spooks and laughs. That's a great story. I mean, you know, horrible, obviously, for it to happen to you, but like, what a what a really good story, really good horror yeah. story. Very, very different. I mean, I know we say that a lot, but I'm glad we still say that a lot this many episodes in that you hear stories that don't fall into the same kind of uh, narrative structure as, as, as a lot of other stories, which isn't always a bad thing. Excuse right. me. I mean, you know, I've said this before too, but I'll never get tired of just a traditional haunted house story. Of course. But that one, um, God, I really, I mean, if I was going to like take like, like, okay, like a based on a true story uh-huh. movie based on that one, 
I love the premise of something really weird is happening in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You can't, and it's, and it's different, like the whistling. It's not like a typical scratching, mm-hmm. knocking, bangs, uh, footsteps in the hall. It's just unusual. Right. And then after this has been happening for a long time, then you do digging and you find out that it's some, like, like folklore from another country, another part of the world. And the people who lived in that house right around the time it started happening are from that part of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great setup yeah. for an uh, uh, awesome horror movie or, you know, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the thing that like, I, well, there's so many things about the story that freaked me out. of mm-hmm. just like, what a bizarre thing. Like, we let our dogs out at night. I mean, if you have an animal, you have to let them out at night, right? Yeah. Can you just imagine being in our backyard hearing whistling? It, whistling is like such a, okay, it's like a happy thing during the day, like sure, humming sure. a tune. But at night, in the dark, not knowing the source of it. That's the thing, not knowing who was doing creepy. it. It's creepy. Super creepy, especially, especially if you couldn't exactly play, like you knew it was nearby, mm-hmm. but not exactly where. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and you just never, it's never like, oh, okay, every time this neighbor's out by their fire pit, yep. then you hear the whistling. Then I would just assume right or wrong that it's coming from that person. Exactly. Oh my like, God, I love that she yells at the neighbor, like, you fucking asshole. Because yeah. who wouldn't have that reaction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, but, but when you're, when it's, you can't figure out, it, it doesn't seem tied to anybody. Oh man, you just walk out in the backyard. Oh my gosh. Just something that's definitely not a bird. Right. You know, oof. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the, the piecing it together at the end, the, the Venezuelan folklore of it, the fact that a Venezuelan couple lived there. I know. Where, okay. What is going on there? Also like are, are. And they left pretty quick after they came back. Right. So the daughter took them, they, the, took them to Venezuela and then it sounds like came back without them. Yeah. Sold the house and left. And it's like, was she freaked out? Did they leave the house because they didn't know, they, they knew what the whistler was right. and felt like it was, um, cause what did they say? It's, uh, um, uh, For, foretells it, your death. Yeah. It is also said that hearing the whistling foretells one owns death and one may hear it anywhere at any time. So did her parents, were they, were they hearing it? They were like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Did her parents die? I don't know. Right. Did her parents hear it, die? She heard it with her parents. Then she, you know, she came back, but then, then also start, she, maybe she came back to avoid hearing it again. Like thinking oh. she was fleeing from this thing. Right. And, and then she's back in that house, uh, in America and then hears it outside in the yard and then like tries to move again to get rid of this oh thing. Oh my gosh. What a nightmare. To avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a spook. That was a really good one. I thought so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really, uh, and, and great writing. Just, you know, mm-hmm. conveying the, the story, really understand what happened, how it happened. And like, good for her. She stayed in that house. Mm, yeah. I mean, eventually, I guess it, I mean, it stopped mm-hmm. and therapy and I mean, I wouldn't be able to stay. I mean, I get- DeSoto. DeSoto scared it away. I know there is that though too. It's like, oh my God, how lucky that the Whistler's afraid of dogs. Oh man. Well, we don't have to worry about with between Penny and Didi, our oh ferocious guard Penny dogs. And Didi. We're never gonna have to worry about uh, the the whistler getting us. Never, never. They would bark until their little vocal cords broke. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> well, idiots, they're so funny right now. Yeah, they've been especially cute lately. It's funny. Like I do like uh, as dogs, you know, as they get older, like their personalities can shift and things. And um, they've been especially like Penny has been in an especially good mood. It seems I know, so funny. the last few months. I don't know if she just like uh, maybe got some extra vitamin D if that affects dogs <laughs> out in the sunshine. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then Dee Dee Ginger, um, she, she has been more assertive. Like it's like for the longest time, like, you know, uh, she would just play second fiddle to Penny. 
Penny, Penny's very pushy about getting attention when you come home, pushy about wanting you to play with her. And she would just kind of like back off. Right. And now, nope. Now, like nope. last night when you were on the couch uh, and, you know, Gigi wanted some attention. Penny was laying there and Penny just trampled her. Yeah. Like when they just like yeah. lie on top of each other, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'll show you. Oh, yeah. Didi's Dee been doing that a lot lately like in bed at night. Uh-huh. She's like, nope. If Penny lays next to me, you know, close to my face or whatever the pillow. Yeah. Ginger will just come lay on top of her. I know. Or, or just like smother right next to her. So like she's little, right there. Like a crescent. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm sick of being left out. I was dying last night uh, or sitting on the couch working and they just, you know, they want attention all the time. They're like Mm -hmm. little toddlers. Penny's standing there. She's got like a one of her babies in her mouth. And then Ginger's just a little, a little toys, bit yep. taller than Penny. So she just goes over to Penny and like puts her head on Penny's back, like just behind Penny's head mm-hmm. as like a warning of like. I'm about to get you. And yep. then they just stand there both frozen for five seconds. And then they erupt into one of their little battles. Little battles, yeah. It was hilarious. This little like warning that she was giving her. Like, it was kind of like, drop it or I'm going to drop you. I, lo- I love seeing dogs little wrestling battles. Like our like our friends out in Nashville, we out there like, you know, Jamie and Amy Jean. Uh-huh. Their two dogs have their own little game that they play where they yep. make the same fake growls and throw each other around. It's so silly. Oh, it's so entertaining. Dogs are funny. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. You want to do some Annabelle shout outs? Yeah. You want me to start again? Oh, sure. Go right sure. ahead. Uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for uh, hopefully enjoying, I'm imagining, our Patreon bonus content, all the bonus episodes and supporting the show. We get an email. They're like, we support the show, but your bonus content shit. Sucks. Hate it. Hate it. Uh, Blake Spencer, Fernando Garcia, Mackenzie Moaning, or Moaning, Kelsey, Hans- Kelsey Hensley, Heather Porter, Travis Bolander, or, or Bolander. Mariah Moss, Jacqueline Watkins, Holly Orr, Kyle Stant, Mickey, Creepy Nightmare, Christopher Blackett, Sharon Katkar, or Kotkar, Jenny Kennington, Kim Dorst, Terry Hardy, Lulu Sanchez, Love Ashley Nicole, (laughs) that's cute, Amber Reed, Corey Cook, Soul Noel, uh, Ashley Ann Servin, Aaron Householder, Mark and Moran, Mark and Miranda Danner. All done? Yeah, I think so. Good job. Uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Kurt Biting, Christopher Jones, Michael LeCount, Kayla Baker, Maverick Gutwin, Jan Allison, Coulter Pinnell, Mitchell Pearson, Caleb Piper, Melissa McCall, Tony and... Oh, I don't... Hmm. Are you really Tony Angeloni? I bet it. <laughs> I, I, so. I, I think it's Angelone, but I want it to be Tony Angeloni. <laughs> Tony Not Angeloni. like you haven't heard that. Tony, yeah, yeah. And Tony with an I, so probably a girl. Tony Angeloni. <laughs> Tony Angeloni is hasta spaghetti. <laughs> this week. Sorry. <laughs> is that going to be advertised on? That'll be advertised on uh, The Buzz. Yeah. 93.6 FM, Charlotte's Adult uh, Contemporary. Okay. How does that go? DJ Honey. Uh, this is DJ Honey. Our next uh, block of uh, adult contemporary classics brought to you by Angelina. <laughs> Angeloni Bologna is House of Spaghetti. <laughs> Tony, B- Tony Angeloni. <laughs> Too many things for me, for me to remember. <laughs> Tony Bologna is House of Spaghetti. <laughs> Get the Bolognese. I guess he wouldn't talk like that. He would say you... this. This is brought by uh, Tony. What is it? Tony Angeloni. <laughs> Or maybe, oh God, better House of Bologna. This is, uh, <laughs> this block is brought to you by Tony Angeloni's House of Bologna. Get the bologna and cheddar this week for uh, $5.99. Oh my God. Every time you mention the show. Oh my God. Anyone who says bologna and I immediately think of like this weird food that my dad makes. It's mm. like fried bologna. Mm. And then you pour a, a can of Campbell's tomato soup over it. <laughs> and then you continue to like kind of 
simmer it in that, right. and then you put that on top of a mound of mashed potatoes, and he calls it slop. Sounds like slop. Yep. All right. Eric Rowe, Jennifer Martin, Donna Hartshorn, Greg Annis, Dry Bones, Melissa Dominguez, Aaron Snodgrass, Martha Ocho, Andrew Adkins, Melina Hernandez, Gabby Marie, Melissa Garcia, Jade James, Cole Westbrook, and Ryan Webb. And then have a few spoopy shoutouts. Spoopy shoutouts. Spoops. To Tara from Thing 1 and Thing 2, happy birthday <laughs> to the best big sister. Have a super duper fantabulous day. To Bailey from Cal, I love you, mom. Don't worry. I was always proud of you. To Desiree from Desiree, happy 30th birthday. To B and Tony from Linda, congrats on your engagement. And to Katie from Joan, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. And that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Tyler C., uh, producing and directing today. Logan also helping producing. Uh, thanks, Logan, as well, for uh, doing the merch at badmagicmerch.com and both Tyler and Logan uh, working on socials lately. Thanks to producers Olivia Lee, Sarah Finch for helping assemble both of today's tales. And uh, thanks to Zach Cohen for custom sound bed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and our book editor, Drew Atana, polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four now. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Head to badmagicmerch.com and grab tickets for Scared to Death Live, Haunted Halloween, True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror, number two, stories that will only be told Thursday, October 27th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. Toss a coin for your witcher, oh valley of plenty. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.